You have to be willing to be at someone's house till midnight, whatever it takes. That burden of lostness, I think it weighs heavy on all of us on the team. Because we're only a team of 12 people and there's 28 million people, we can't reach them by ourselves. We're seeking to leverage, to mobilize, to, to be catalytic in the way that we're working. Invitan para conferencias, el internet, el Skype. Tengo grupos de Cali, Colombia, tengo grupos de Italia, tengo grupos en todo lugar. Mentoring with guys who are studying here at this campus, especially guys who are interested in pastoring or missions or sensing some kind of a calling. We're trying to team together with our national partners here. Working with the seminaries. The local churches, as well as folks coming up from our Baptist churches in the States. Limitless partners from the United States. So to be able to get the gospel in their homes and in their hearts. We cannot do it alone. God's still calling people, he hasn't stopped not just to be pastors, not just to be teachers, not just to be local missionaries, but to reach all the nations. glad that you are here on this uh, this last day of the year of 2017 to uh, worship our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We were thinking as we prayed up here before the service about uh, last year uh, as a church we've lost some folks and um, 
welcomed some new folks in the nick of time, and so uh, so it's been a it's been a, an interesting year, and uh, we're thankful for uh, what God's done, and we're looking forward to what He's going to do in the upcoming year. But uh, but today's a good day for us to come together to worship, reflect on God's goodness and all that He's done for us. So um, we want to welcome. If you're a guest today, know that we're delighted you're taking time to worship uh, on this last day of the year here with us. We'd love for you to take the side of the bulletin. We're going to ask for some information. Fill that out. Tear it off, drop it in the offering plate as it's passed before you here in just a little bit. We'd love to learn more about you and have an opportunity to tell you more about us. Right now, we're going to take a moment to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize, go say good morning, and we're going to continue worshiping together here in just a moment. Uh-huh. 
He's awesome in power, our God, our God. Amen. Come now, fount of every blessing. To my heart to sing thy praise, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise, seems be so
Most gracious Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come out this day and worship you. <clears throat> Hear your word, Lord. Pray that you'd watch over us this week and lead and guide us. Forgive us where we fail thee, Father. Take these tithes and offerings for the furtherment of your kingdom. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. We got a couple of good mornings there. So, hey, this morning I want to talk to you about, uh, I'll talk about some hard things to say, okay? Some very hard things to say. Um, anybody, you just know a really long, tough word? Usually when I ask children that, the first thing they say is something from an old Disney movie. 
Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, right? Yeah, that's a, well, apparently it's not very hard to say because everybody says it. So, yeah, there we go. There we go. But um, how about some, uh, how about something like uh, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers? Yeah, well, I didn't do the whole thing because I'm not that good. Um, I don't read much. My, my, my parents named me BJ. They knew that was going to be the case. So, um, <clears throat> But there's some, there's some others, like uh, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Can you say that? Say that, uh-huh. Yeah, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Yeah, it's tough. Well, listen, I got, I got something right here. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite books. Again, I don't read much. It's Dr. Seuss. And so there's a book called... Fox and Socks. Now, the title's not that hard. It's not really a book. It's just the contents of the book printed on paper. But I'm going to try, okay? <clears throat> Give me a break because this is not easy. Let's try. Uh, I'll just start at the top, and then I may skip around some and, and do some, some fun stuff here. But uh, Knox and Box, Fox and Socks, Knox on Fox and Socks and Box. You got it? Okay, good. I have to have it written out because I don't know. Socks on knocks and knocks and box. Fox and socks on box and on knocks. Yeah. See, probably there's a first or second grade teacher out here somewhere that could do this better than anybody. Yeah. So, um, a, a librarian. Well, let's see. Um, let's see. Why don't I just skip over to what is perhaps the most fun section of this and the most difficult. Okay, are you ready? Do you know what a beetle is? Do you know what a beetle is? A beetle? Yeah, it's a group from a long time ago. You sing these songs. But there are also these little bugs with six legs, okay? Um, but I wonder, have you ever heard of a Tweedle Beetle? All right, let's, he says, let's have a little talk about Tweedle Beetles. What do you know about Tweedle Beetles? Well, when Tweedle Beetles fight, it's called a Tweedle Beetle battle. And when they battle in a puddle, it's a Tweedle Beetle puddle battle. And when they, see, I already messed up. And when Tweedle Beetles battle with paddles in a puddle, they call it a Tweedle Beetle puddle paddle battle. And when beetles battle beetles in a puddle paddle battle, and the beetle battle puddle is a puddle in a bottle, they call this a Tweedle Beetle puddle. No, they don't. I don't know what they call it. It's tough. It's hard to say, okay? There's probably somebody out there that can do it really, really well, okay? But listen, I want to tell you about one thing. Listen, here's, this is probably the most difficult word in all of the English language to say. Actually, it's two words. It would be three, but one of them is a compound word. Something. You need something? Yes, I can you, can you, oh, you're going to try. Good job. All right. Listen, here, here it is. Two little words. Are you ready? They're, they're really kind of small words, and they're easy to say with your mouth, but it's really hard to say with your heart. You ready? Here it is. Listen. Now listen. I'm sorry. That's right. You already knew it. Maybe it's because we have you say it a lot. I don't know. But so, Or maybe you hear me say it a lot, or maybe I should say it more. But listen, I'm sorry. Listen, that's really hard to say. It's easy to say with our mouth. So let's just practice right now with our mouth. Ready? Say that with me. I'm sorry. Try it one more time. I'm sorry. Listen, that's a hard word. Those are a couple of hard words for us to say because, listen, it, it has to come from our heart. When we do something that's not right, when we do something wrong, we go to somebody and we apologize. And, you know, the Bible talks about a lot of, of this, this other word called repentance. And part of repentance is being sorry for what has happened. And so we go to somebody, go to another person that maybe we've hurt, and we say, I'm sorry. But we also kneel down in prayer, and we, we, we bow our heads, and we pray to the Lord, and we say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me, and help me not to do that anymore. So this is the last day of 2017, okay? As we start the new year, I wonder if that really hard thing to say could be something that becomes a little easier for us, that God would work in our hearts so that we can say, I'm sorry. And listen, here's the neat thing about it, and I'll finish with this. Even though it's a hard thing to say, there are wonderful things that happen after we say it. 
It's a hard thing to say, but oftentimes it's the best thing we could ever say. All right? Let's pray now. Father, I want to thank you for difficult words that teach us, uh, that, that, that teach us these things. But, Lord, thank you for uh, changing our hearts. Even though telling someone I'm sorry may be a difficult thing to say, we know that oftentimes it's the best thing to say. Lord, help us to understand repentance. Help us to understand what it means uh, to, to just be apologetic and, and ask for forgiveness. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand again as we sing. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all gracious King. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the The world has suffered long Beneath the angel's strain Have rolled two thousand years of wrong And man at war with man Hears not the love songs which they bring Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife And hear the angels sing crushing load whose forms are bending low who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing oh rest beside the weary load and hear the angels prophet bards foretold when with the ever circling years comes round the age of gold when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling and the whole world gives back the song which now the angels Remain standing as we share God's word together this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I'll begin in verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches and instructs us today. May you continue to uh, help us to apply this text that we've been working diligently through here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You'll notice on the cover of the bulletin, we are uh, advertising a, a really a big initiative coming up next year, a, a Through the Bible reading campaign chronologically through the Bible. Would encourage you to do it electronically if you have access to, uh, to, to that sort of technology. If you are having trouble uh, accessing that, just say, Pastor, I'm, I'm having a hard time, and I can actually send you the link electronically so you can just click that link and have access. You should be able to scan the little code in your bulletin and get access to that, but if you are having any trouble, just please do let me know. I've had some folks who are parents of smaller children, and they would love for their kids to be able to participate in this, but, uh, but for a child to tackle the volume of reading necessary for a, a, a year-long Bible campaign, that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot of reading for a young reader to try to get through. Uh, for some of us older folks, uh, BJ, uh, you know, getting through that volume of reading 
is is a challenge. And so, so for those who uh, for 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 who reading is hard, uh, we have a we have an abbreviated program that you can use. It's uh, it's actually called the Start Here Plan. And so, this is for somebody who maybe is new to a daily devotion, maybe who's new to a Bible reading campaign, and 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 I understand that that's a that's a tall order. Um, I have, a, I have this for you. you don't, this is not in the app or electronically. This is available for you on this thing called paper. Um, and it, is, uh, it explains what it is. So you're, you're reading some of the same stuff, but you're not reading as much of the same stuff. So, so for instance, tomorrow the reading is Genesis 1 and 2. If you're doing the Start Here plan, you're only reading Genesis 1. So you're, you're getting about half of what would the, everyone else is getting. So if you've got kids or something and you'd like them to, to at least begin to develop the discipline of a daily Bible reading, then we have a plan that can help them with that. And I have copies of this available if you, need, if you want it digitally. I can email it to you, whatever. Um, but uh, it's called the, the Start Here Plan. So I've got that available if you are so inclined. Otherwise, I'm looking forward to, uh, to reading through the Bible with, with you folks in the upcoming year. It's going to be exciting. I'm interested to hear what God, what God does. For, for some of us, uh, we, I know that in the room that there are many who that this is, a, this is a big ask, asking you to spend time in the Bible every day because developing a daily quiet time is, is something that, um, that not everyone has done. And so to, to do that is a, is, a, is a tall order. And so if you're struggling, uh, one of the things I love about the electronic format is there's a measure of accountability that's there. Uh, so, and if you're struggling, just know that, uh, that there's a lot of folks who want to help you be successful in this, which is why there's a six, it's a six-day plan with a seventh day to catch up or to review, or if there's something that you wanted to spend more time on, the seventh day is there for that. So, um, so that's why it's a six-day plus one format. So, um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. I kind of got started ahead of time just to, just to kind of get ready and everything. And so uh, on Wednesday nights, some of the, the content on Wednesday nights for our Bible study is going to come from the readings for that week. So, uh, so we're going to really make this, uh, make this an important part of our church. I would love to hear from you. Uh, if, if you are new to a quiet time or maybe new to a, 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 just a through-the-Bible program, I'd love to hear from you and just, uh, just hear what God's doing in your life as you just commit yourself to that level of Scripture reading. I'd love to hear what God's doing in your life as, as you commit yourself to that. I'd love to hear testimonies, uh, maybe even incorporate some of those testimonies in our worship service of what God's doing uh, as, you, as you work through Scripture together. So make that a priority. As I said, if you can't access it uh, for some reason or another, just let me know. I texted it to somebody right before church, so it's the last text message on my phone unless somebody does something silly here in the next, uh, next few minutes. Uh, it's the last I can forward it right to you, so uh, we'll get you started there. I'm sure you all remember those quizzes and tests when you were in high school or, or even younger where you were given a chart or a graph of some sort, and you were told to label the various pieces and parts that were represented on the document. I remember particularly like map quizzes. Uh, you, you geography teachers the love map quizzes where you give somebody a blank map and ask them to label the states and the capitals or the countries and capitals and things like that. You studied, you prepared, you were ready, and when the time came for the quiz and the test, you were ready to fill in those blanks and, and fill out that diagram exactly as it should be. So, as a result of the last few weeks of working through the armor of God, I present to you the quiz. I hope you've been paying attention because we're going to, we're going to take this quiz. Uh, I've got some proctors who are going to pass out. I'm, I'm kidding. Some of y'all are starting to get a little nervous. Like, I wish I hadn't dozed off two weeks ago. Uh, so there is, the, uh, there is the, the centurion. I tried to find a meaner looking one, but that was the best I could do that would uh, not pixelate on the screen. So let's see if we can fill in the blanks here. We have, we have the belt. The first thing we talked about in Latin, it's the, the teragase, is the, is the belt. The belt of truth. Now, it's important that we not just know the parts, but we know why the parts matter. And we know that the belt of truth is the basis from our armor. It informs everything that we know and everything that can be known without some sort of basis of truth. We've got no, we've got no armor to wear. And so the belt is that which girds all of these things together. The next one in order would be the breastplate. The lorica is what it's called in the Latin. The lorica of righteousness. We talked about how the righteousness of Christ covers us instead of our own self-righteousness. Next, we talked about 
the calige of readiness, those shoes that are to be worn, made ready by the gospel. We talked about the fact that the gospel allows us to stand firm in the face of attack. It allows us and compels us to advance against the enemy. Then we talked about the, the shield, the, the scutum of faith is the means by which we see the world. By faith, we look at the world as God looks at the world, and we respond in kind, believing that God says and is telling us the truth. Then we talked about the helmet of salvation, the galea of salvation, the means by which we protect our thoughts, because we understand if Satan can corrupt our thoughts, our way of thinking, then he has access to to really all dynamics and aspects of our life. And then last week, we talked about the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the Word of God, and it is our weapon. It is the weapon that we need training in its utilization. It's also the weapon that we need to trust in its effectiveness. You're going to get a lot of experience with the sword of the Spirit next year as you read through the Bible together. You're going to, you're going to cover to cover this thing, and, and hopefully from, from, from butt to point, you're going to know what that sword looks like from the, from the very end to the very tip. You're going to know what that sword looks like if you participate throughout the year in this Bible reading campaign. Now, I don't know about you. But when I see this list, and I put on my armor, Brooklyn needs to come up, she's in children's church, she needs to come up and put the armor on for us. When I hear this armor and I read this, I don't know, Curtis, I think this calls for a rousing chorus of onward Christian soldiers. We're going to march out and take on the enemy wherever we find him out in the world today, right? I mean, that's what this compels me to do. To, we need a bugle playing charge as we put on the armor, and we, we charge out with our swords ready to do battle against the enemy. We're ready, we're equipped, we're protected. We've even learned that cool trick with the shields where we all put our shields together and we work to protect each other along the way. I mean, we've really gotten into this armor. As far as we're concerned, the Apostle Paul can take the book of Ephesians, put his John Hancock on it, and put it in the mail that this thing is done because we've got our armor on. We're ready to go to fight. Except Paul doesn't end there. Paul doesn't end with the sword of the Spirit and the charge of the bugler going into battle. He ends with what I will call an addendum to the armor. An addendum to the armor. He ends not only this rhetorical battle preparation, but he ends his entire letter not in the glory of battle, but really in the trenches. It is in what many will consider to be one of the most mundane of Christian disciplines. The discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer. If you'll notice reading through the armor of God, we have read this passage many times over the last few weeks. You'll notice that the, 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 the passage here is full of imperative verbs, imperative commands. An imperative in Scripture is a, is a this is what you should do, or a prohibition. This is what you should not do, but it's an imperative. It is, it is a, a command. There are some things that are, are perhaps options, but these are commands. These are things that we should be doing. And the way that he has written this, all of these verbs have the tense of things that it's in, in the original language, it's called an aorist tense. It's a verb of completion, is what it means. It's, a, it's an action that is finished. It's a definitive action that has taken place. And so, you all drove to church this morning. That is a past definitive action. It's something, well, some of you drove, some of you rode. Um, some of you, if your teenager was driving, you, were, you scared your way to church. But anyway, um, you, you, it's a definitive action that took place. And Paul uses these to be strong, to put on, to take up, to stand. These are, these are imperative words that have a sense that they have been completed. Now, we certainly do these things on an ongoing basis. We daily need to put on the armor of God. But the illustration is just as a soldier puts on his armor, so too should Christian don their armor. It is an action that takes place. But as we reach this addendum that I am calling it today, we find that Paul has changed 
his verb tense from suggesting something that was completed and happened in the past to something that is part of the ongoing preparation that is taking place. He says that as we put on our armor, we should be praying. Something that goes on over the course of getting oneself ready. So as you stand strong, as you put on the armor, as you complete the actions of putting this armor on, there is something that should be happening all along the way. And Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now maybe Paul ran out of armor pieces to associate prayer with. And so he had to, had to attach this to the end. But I don't think that's the case. I think that there's a dynamic of preparation that one only understands if one has actually been in combat. Now, I've never experienced combat. I didn't serve as many in our, in, in our, in our auditorium did here today. But I, I, I certainly understand that, and many of our veterans who've seen combat will testify to the fact that there is a level of mental preparation that accompanies the physical preparedness of going to fight. You don't just show up without having prepared oneself for battle. Now, even in far less serious endeavors than military combat, you'll notice that athletes typically have a mental drill that they go through before they take the field of competition. You'll, you'll recognize this, you'll see this taking place. Uh, now, some of these drills are on the verge of superstitious. I'm sure you've heard the baseball players, you know, that only wear a certain pair of shorts on, on game day or, or, you know, don't wash, their, don't wash their lucky jersey. You've heard those goofy, those sort of superstitious stories. But, but anyone who engages in any kind of an of a athletic competition has some level of mental preparation that goes along with it. If you've seen any kind of movie that has any kind of dramatic fight scene at the end, some sort of battle scene at the end, it never fails that almost every scene leading up to that dramatic battle at the end, there's some sort of, of calm before the storm, of mental preparation. I love the Patriot. And right before the last battle where, where, where you know, they, they go out, Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin, he is preparing himself for that last battle. He melts down his little boy that was killed he melts down his little boy's last lead soldier and, and fashions a musket ball out of it. And he's going to use that musket ball to take out, the, take out the bad guy, right? That's his mental preparation, getting ready to go to fight. In this sense, this is really how Paul is treating prayer. As you prepare, as you don the armor, as you get ready to go to battle, you should be praying. While you do all of these other things, you should be in prayer. Praying at all times in the Spirit. You see, when we began Ephesians last January, hopefully you remember how Paul began this letter with, with really some of the, the loftiest theological content in the New Testament. I mean, the book of Ephesians is, is, next to Romans, perhaps one of the most theologically rich books, particularly the first three chapters. We work through some of the theological dynamics of predestination, of adoption as sons and daughters of God. We, we consider the spiritual blessings that we receive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting, though, when we draw to a close where Paul ends? He ends not with lofty theology, but with simple Christian discipline. Pray. Praying at all times in the Spirit. This is something our children grasp from a pretty early age. I, I suspect if you were to go out into children's church today and, and interview those kids and say, what are the most important things to do as a Christian? There's probably about four or five answers that you would hear. Go to church, Right? Kids, wouldn't, kids know it's important to go to church. Kids sometimes know better than their parents that it's important to go to church. You'd hear those kids say, read your Bible, right? We teach them this. We reinforce this. this is, these are important things. You might hear a child say it's important to give. We encourage children to, to give. But children, very early on, are going to be, they're going to understand that praying is just as bare bones essential to being a Christian as breathing air is to being alive. They understand that intuitively. It, it, it comes with, with the territory. We, we teach and instruct that, and they grasp that very early. Christian parents, we know that we encourage our children. What do you do before you go to bed? 
Say your prayers before you go to bed. Hopefully you pray with your kids before you send them to bed. Very early on, what do we do with our children at the dinner table? We turn over that, that mealtime blessing very early on to, to the children. Dads only are called to pray on on special occasions. When a, when a, when a loftier prayer is necessary, then, then simply, Lord, bless our meal. But at some point in time, praying becomes more than just a list of requests before bedtime or a rote liturgy before our meals. Prayer has got to become a discipline of daily, ongoing significance. Prayer has got to become more than just a repetition of words, but also the means by which we listen to the Lord, thereby making it a form of active communication. Paul says, we, as we get ready, as we prepare for battle, as we get ready to fight the enemy, pray at all times in the Spirit. We're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about prayer, but there's just a couple of things today that I want us to consider as we think about this, this notion of praying at all times. You know, sometimes we are tempted to think that we don't need to pray. I know that's never happened to any of us. We might not ever verbalize it that way, but our actions certainly indicate otherwise. When are those times? Well, when there's no imminent crisis, right? When things are going pretty well, we're tempted to think, you know, I don't need to pray. There's nothing really seriously going on, but let something serious come in and, and we'll, find, we'll find our prayer closet again. But when things are going pretty well, when there's no imminent crisis, when everything is going okay... We're going to church, we're comfortable with the facts of our faith, we feel like everything is, is okay. I think that's where Paul's placement of prayer in his letter is significant. Ephesians is deep. You read through Ephesians and give it the level of focus that we have given it, you will find that it is a tremendously deep letter. If you can grasp the concepts that Paul begins to introduce us to in Ephesians, you're doing pretty good. If you can explain predestination and adoption and, and you can explain those things without being a heretic, you're doing all right. I mean, you're, you're paying attention, you're reading, you're listening, you're studying. But don't let your confidence in the things of God cause you to miss your need for the heart of God. There's a lot of people who can go really, really far into the things of, of theology. People who can talk in, with great depth and with great specificity about complicated doctrines of the Christian faith. But I know a lot of those folks who have no sense of what God's heart really is. We have to make sure that we don't let our confidence in the things of God cause us to miss our need for the heart of God. You may have your armor on. You're ready to fight. But can I say this? You're not ready for anything if you've not made prayer a part of that preparation. Prayer is the most basic of disciplines. Kids understand its necessity. But in our pride, we've also made it to be one of the most neglected. The truth of the matter is, is we don't have to look very hard to see that prayer is not usually very high on our priority list. Many churches no longer have prayer meetings. The churches that do, it's one of the most poorly attended meetings of the church's calendar. I find it fascinating that even in our church, we have more people that will attend a boring business meeting than will join together for prayer. That's a, that's a fascinating indictment against us. Likewise, how many ministries actively utilize prayer as an essential part of that ministry? I mean, more than we just use prayer to start a meeting and prayer is the way to end a meeting, because that's what we do. You know, well, we're having a meeting, so let's pray. And then we don't know how to end the meeting, so let's not pray. I once sat in a meeting not long ago where the meeting ended without prayer. And at first, there was a sense of, we're still meeting, because the prayer is our gavel at the end of the meeting. And then I realized you don't have to verbalize a prayer for a meeting to be over, especially if you're praying, as Paul says, in all things, praying in the Spirit. How many ministries, though, see prayer as more than just a way to begin and a way to end a meeting? 
I mean that someone's actually in charge of that aspect and, 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 and someone's actually in charge of, of actively coordinating and, and ensuring that prayer is a vital part of what is taking place. We can cover everything. We can cover the, the, the forks and the silverware and the food and we can cover the coaches and the referees and cover everything with great levels of specificity. But how many times do we leave prayer as a matter of, well, hopefully somebody's doing it. Hopefully it's covered. Hopefully it's taken care of. You know, I'm led to believe that there's three likely reasons for our neglect of prayer. I believe there's three. And I think all the other reasons fall under these. The first one is that we think we don't need it, which is ultimately rooted in pride. It's rooted in pride to say, I don't need to. I'm, I'm okay. I don't need to pray. Uh, kind of a sub-point of this is I don't have time to, which is the same thing, right? If your doctor says you need to take this medicine, but it's going to take you 15 minutes a day to take this medicine to keep you alive, you know what you will do? You will spend 15 minutes of your day taking the medicine that will keep you alive. Why? Because you understand you need it. And you will prioritize in such a way to make that important. When we say we don't have time for prayer, then we really don't necessarily understand how prayer works. You don't always have to be in the closet to be in prayer. Jesus said, certainly, go to your prayer closet. There are times that that is good where you can go and focus and no other distractions, no other things are, are in the way. But there are times where your prayer closet is the driver's seat of your car driving down the road. There are times where your prayer closet is, is the seat at your office where you are working during the day. There are times where your, your prayer closet is sitting across the table from a colleague with whom you have serious disagreements. There are times where your prayer closet is, is, is dealing with the, the hurt that's been inflicted upon you and you can't go somewhere private to have that conversation with the Lord. Praying at all times in the Spirit means that it's an ongoing conversation throughout the day that doesn't mean that it's, a, it's necessarily a time that's set apart and, and, and used as, as, a, as a time where you're all alone with you and the Lord. So one of the reasons has to be we think we don't need it. Another reason, and this one is one that's, again, I don't know that we would verbalize it, but is there really more working behind the scenes here? We don't think it works. We don't think it works, which is rooted in unbelief. How many of us have had that prayer where we have prayed over and over and over and over and over again and we've seen no movement? And we've seen they weren't healed. They didn't get the job. They didn't get the, the, the thing that they wanted. I mean, all of us, right, have had that. Well, does that mean that prayer doesn't work? Does that mean that God doesn't care, that God's not answering anymore because you didn't get what you wanted? Absolutely not. I heard a wise person once say that prayer is answered in one of three ways. Yes, no, or not yet. There are times that God says no. Healing is not an option at this time. There are times that God says, I want you to have that job, but not quite yet. Not quite yet. And there are times that God says, Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means that you may not be in tune with the answer. The third reason, we don't know how to do it. You know what that's rooted in? Ignorance. Guess what, folks? We can work with ignorance. Right? We can work with ignorance because here's the reality. Praying is not something that comes all that naturally. Isn't that encouraging to know? It's not something that just naturally comes about. Well, how do we know? Well, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples were watching Jesus pray. They were listening to Jesus pray, and they were interested in Jesus praying, and they come to the Lord, and they say, Lord, what? Teach us to pray. So if you ever feel like you don't know how to pray, you're in great company. Because there were disciples who walked with Jesus, who were there with him, who observed Jesus praying, who had to come to the Lord and say, Lord, you're going to have to teach us how to do this. You're going to need to teach us how to pray. Now, it's not, 
it's not that they weren't familiar with prayer. Because the reality is, is these Jewish men that were following Jesus knew something about prayer. They understood that prayer was part of their daily lives, but they knew that Jesus prayed differently because prayer was part of his life as well, and it was a compelling part of his life. Their prayers were ritualistic, rote prayers that they said before they, they gave sacrifices or gave alms or things like that at the temple. It was part of just their, their religious expression, but for Jesus, prayer was much more than just religious expression. For Jesus, prayer was his very communication with the Father. They understood that. There was something different about the way that Jesus prayed, and it was compelling. And when people have compelling parts of their life, you want to know more about that. Right? Nobody wants you to learn, teach you, teach them your bad habits. Nobody ever comes to you and says, Would you please teach me how to bite my fingernails like you do? That's never happened before. I can probably say in the history of humanity, that's a request that's never been made. Teach me how to bite your fingernails. Teach me how to bite your fingernails. Ooh, teach me how to bite my fingernails. That just got gross. <laughs> but when someone has a compelling characteristic about their life, don't you want to learn about that? I mean, that's what Pinterest is about, is women comparing compelling things about one another's life so that they can teach others how to do that. If you've got a character trait that I find compelling, I want to know more about that. Teach me how you do that. Teach me what this is like. The disciples weren't strangers to prayer, but they didn't know prayer like Jesus knew prayer. Jesus didn't pray like the Pharisees. Jesus prayed like a man who had a personal connection with God. And so what did Jesus give the disciples? A liturgy, right? A prayer to recite from now on as God's people. That's what the Lord's prayer is, right? Except that's not what Jesus was giving. Is there anything wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer? Absolutely not. It's a part of Scripture, and I think we should recite Scripture, absolutely. But the Lord's Prayer was not to be the only prayer that God's people pray. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave them the model prayer. And so lesson one for them was the model prayer. And contained in that model prayer are principles that should be informing our prayer lives. Like what? When we pray as citizens of the kingdom, understanding who our king is, praying as kingdom-minded people, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We understand who he is, what his character is. And so in our prayer, as we learn to pray, we affirm God's character and his holiness. Contained in that model prayer, we ask for God's provision for our physical needs. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. So it's appropriate for us to ask God for our daily provision of needs. We pray for God's physical strength. We pray for his hand to guide us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. These are are parts of our model prayer. These are appropriate things for us to pray. That doesn't mean that the only way to pray is to pray as the Lord's prayer is given to us, but it's giving us principles by which we can learn to pray in our daily lives. And we pray and ponder God's goodness and holiness. And that's not the only thing prayer is. Notice Jesus in the model prayer never prays for the the, the health or the well-being of anyone else. He doesn't pray for healing or restoration. He doesn't pray for, he doesn't offer repentance in that prayer. Because it's just a model. It's not exhaustive. It doesn't cover everything that there is to cover. It's simply a model. So if you don't know how to pray, well let me commend you to lesson one that the disciples received. The model prayer. Ultimately, like the disciples, this is what we need. We need to be discipled in the discipline of prayer. We need to be discipled in the discipline of prayer. Well, how does that work? Well, one, maybe find a brother or sister, begin praying together. Actually meet together and pray. Sometimes we fellowship more than we pray. Maybe that happens more than we want to admit. I met, started meeting with a group of pastors, senior pastors, a couple of months ago. And the whole thing that is to come together and, and just pray. And I have found that as I meet with these men, that, that there's a depth of prayer that begins to develop there because we've all committed and covenanted that during this time, we're not spending this time as a, as a time to just chew the fat and talk about the national championship game that's coming up and talk about who's better in sports and talk about whose church is better. That's not what it's about. It's about men coming together and praying together. And we find that as we do this, we we all kind of grow in our understanding and our appreciation of what it means to come together and pray. Better yet, even find the more mature saint. 
Someone who's been fighting the battle for a while and learn from their victories and learn from their scars. This is what the church should be doing. We're, we're older, mentor, younger, and, and, and if you want to know how to pray, go find sister so-and-so who's been praying to Jesus for the last 85 years. That's who I want to, that's who I want to hear from. That person who's been talking to the Lord for longer than I've been alive. That's what discipling in the discipline of prayer looks like. And what you'll find is when you talk to folks like that who've been talking to Jesus for a really long time, is that yes, there's that time that they set aside where it's just them and the Lord in their closet, at their, kneeling at their bed, wherever it is, where it's just them and the Lord. But you'll also find that their conversation with God doesn't stop when the 15-minute timer goes off. Their conversation with God goes on throughout the day. And amazingly enough, when people begin to practice prayer this way, they find that they can have two conversations at once. That they can converse with you face-to-face while conversing to the Lord in their hearts. That's what God says to us. That's what Paul tells us to do. As you're getting ready, as you go to battle, as you prepare for the fight, as you stand, as you take up, as you put on, as you do these things, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So may we learn from one another. And may we develop the discipline of prayer. Would you join me as we pray together? Lord, how many of us at some point in time in our lives have felt woefully inadequate to talk to you? Lord, we, we find that there's maybe sin in our life that, that makes us feel like we have a, a block that we can't talk with you. Maybe there's, there's problems with brothers and sisters. As BJ said earlier, we don't use those words, I'm sorry. And as a result, we can't talk to you because we've got other things that are I just feel like we can't even get to you. Lord, sometimes how many of us just don't have the words? Lord, we don't know what to pray. There, there's things that are bigger than us, Lord, outcomes that we don't understand. But Lord, guard our hearts against that, that prideful arrogance that says we don't need to. Guard our hearts against that, that, that doubt that says it doesn't matter. And God, let us come before you throughout our days, praying without ceasing, as we put on the armor of God, that we pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a model prayer of how we should, things that we know we can pray about, principles that that are important, that should guide us as we pray. But Lord, let us be known as a praying people. We can put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of readiness. We can put on the helmet of salvation, take up the shield of faith, and wield the sword of the Spirit. But God, more than any of those things, more than a, a formidable foe on the battlefield, Lord, let us be known as a, as a man or woman who is able to fight in the trenches. On our knees, if our bodies will allow it, but with great fervor and great enthusiasm, Lord. Let us not neglect so simple a discipline, so foundational a discipline, because we've mastered some of the higher things of the Christian faith. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and respond. God's just leading your heart to... uh, just reaffirm your, your commitment to be a praying man or a praying woman. You, you just reaffirm that. You don't have to come up front to do that. That's not necessary. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and today's the day you want to give your life to Jesus. Let's stand together and sing, and you respond as the Lord would lead.
Sweetly 